I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to be talking about possessions and exorcisms. And I gotta tell you, I absolutely hate possessions and exorcisms. The thought about being possessed freaks me out. The thought about hanging out with somebody who all of a sudden becomes possessed freaks me out. Uh, Anything about a demon just taking over someone pretty much freaks me out. But, before we get to that, as always, let's do some shout-outs. Who are these people I'm shouting out? Well, these are patrons of my Patreon. Paranormal Almanac has its own Patreon, where you get exclusive content, you get a lot of fun stuff, and these are the people that make this show happen. So these shout-outs are to Dan, Andy, Matt, Scott, Laura, Juliana, welcome, Edgar, welcome, Dill, Laura, Daniel, and the always cool, my favorite Patreon, my favorite patron of this month. Sorry, the rest of the patrons, I love you all, but this next one is the always cool, Elijah Philip Hendrickson. That's right, Elijah Philip Hendrickson. This shout-out is for you, my friend. You're awesome. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you all for your support. Uh, Become a patron, get exclusive episodes, content, previews, more, lots more, videos. There's tons of stuff. It is a cool, fun place to hang out, and I like to listen to the patrons. And speaking of listening to the patrons, I put a poll up on Patreon of what episode they'd like to hear And guess which one they chose? Exorcisms, the one I hate. But I've got a lot of show this week, so I'm going to keep on moving. So let's get to paranormal news. This news is weird. Let me just read it to you as is. A time warp was discovered outside of Las Vegas, according to a paranormal investigator. Sounds really cool. Sounds like this guy found the missing time warp thing that all the UFOs and cryptids and everything comes out of, and it's over by Area 51. It's going to be awesome. No, not so much. It's just kind of weird. So researcher Joshua Warren said that he had tested several areas between Las Vegas and Area 51, but only found a reading in an area north of Sin City, Las Vegas, between I-15 and Route 93. What was the thing that he found? Well, basically, he has a 100-foot cable with a sensor on one end. The device sends a signal down the length of the cable and measures the time it takes to reach the other end. So it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple tool. The odd thing was, at this one spot on June 18th of 2018, he actually measured for the first and only time, time itself slowing down for 20 microseconds. 20 whole microseconds. He added that it should not happen, at least according to the laws of physics. Now, I'm not smart enough to tell you why time slowed down for 20 microseconds, 
not whole, not 20 whole seconds, just 20 microseconds. But for some reason, on this one spot, it slowed down. It was the only time it ever happened. Does that mean something strange and weird and crazy is there? I don't know. I, I don't know. I Again, I'm not that smart. But I am smart enough to tell you about this next story. Celebrity physicist Brian Cox was asked about flat earth conspiracies, the multiverse, and ghosts. And this is what he had to say. They asked him, sounds a bit like the flat earth conspiracy theorist we sometimes deal with. What would you need to get fundamentally wrong to believe in the flat earth conspiracy? Brian Cox, again, physicist, very smart guy, said, everything. You need to get everything wrong. You need to go all the way back to the foundations of modern physics. From Newton's laws that there's a size of a massive object beyond which it becomes spherical. You'd have to reject Newton's laws, Einstein's theory of general relativity. Why do storms spin? Why do artillery guns have an adjustment for the latitude? There are all these consequences of the fact that we live on a thing that spins. A sphere. Now, the storm system spinning is because we live on a spinning globe. Not a flat earth, a spinning globe. And he says, basically, to cut it kind of... To kind of cut it a little bit short, he says, basically, there's no justification for thinking that the Earth is flat. It's idiotic at every conceivable level, but it's indicative of a deeper problem. And that deeper problem is just how fast conspiracy theories happen and how the more we know, the less people, the less dumber people want to know, basically. He says, here are some of the things that use the benefits of science every day. Antibiotics, mobile phones, GPS navigation, which, if you think the Earth is flat, how does GPS work? That's what he's asking you. You know what? Screw it. That's what I'm asking you as well. Nothing about it is flat, everybody. You keep asking me. Well, now you don't have to. Someone asked a physicist. He's a way smarter guy than I am. Satellites wouldn't work. GPS wouldn't work. Storms wouldn't spin. All of this is proof that we are living on a giant sphere. And again, the the one thing that I really liked about that is artillery guns have an adjustment for the latitude. He is so right. If the earth was flat, why? He's got a damn good point. And I got to say, I'm still with him. Flat earth conspiracy theorists, you guys are crazy. With Flat Earth, he gave several examples of why the Earth can't be flat. He doesn't really do that with ghosts. He just goes on to say what's with the energy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, He does say that there's a multiverse, just like a lot of other smart people. Uh, Someone asked him, should we look for extraterrestrial intelligence? Do you think it's there? And he said it should definitely look for it. Uh, He would not be surprised if we don't hear anything. But if you talk to astronomers, they're quite optimistic. We've discovered over 3,000 exoplanets. There are a lot of places for life to have emerged and evolved. So that's just a little taste of his interview. There's a lot more. I'll put the link onto the Facebook page as well so you can read the whole thing if you really want to. But again, the Earth isn't flat. Stop asking me. Okay. Before we get going, though, I know you're eager to get going just as much as I am. And I know that the incredibly cool Elijah 
Philip Hendrickson wants me to get going as well. But before we get going, I'm setting up another one of your fan favorite listener ghost stories. So if you have stories, please, please, please reach out to me on Facebook and share your story. You can direct message me on Facebook, share your story. If you're a patron, you can go on to Patreon and just share your story right there. Last but not least, I wanted to tell you all to watch this fantastic new TV show called Misfits and Monsters. It's by Bobcat Goldthwaite, who is one of my favorite filmmakers ever. He is a brilliant filmmaker that thinks outside the box, that isn't cookie-cutter Hollywood. He is incredibly talented, incredibly brilliant. I would love to interview him on this podcast one day and talk about whatever he wants to talk about. But I do think that all of you should be watching Misfits and Monsters. It's called Bobcat Goldthwaite's Misfits and Monsters. It's on True TV. It's incredible. The first episode was last week. It was hysterical. I loved it. He's, uh, Bobcat says it's Roger Rabbit meets Cape Fear. So that gives you an idea of how messed up, awesomely cool it is. Uh, Seth Green is on the first episode. Every week is going to be a whole new cast, kind of like the Twilight Zone kind of a thing. They're fantastic. I can't wait to see more. If you're a fan of this podcast, I guarantee you, you will love this show. I don't know what that guarantee actually is, so uh, guaranteed void if you're listening to this podcast. Okay, <sighs> as much as I've been trying to avoid it, let's start by saying real or even seemingly real possessions scare the crap out of me. The voices, the knowledge that this person couldn't possibly have, the levitating, the evil surrounding a formerly good person, it's all terrifying. <laughs> Stitch is possessed right now. Um, as you guys know, I'm not even that really religious. I believe definitely in a higher power. But if there's good, there's got to be evil. That's kind of the mindset that I'm in. So I guess the good thing is that the week-long, well, a little over that actually, 10-day-long investigation into all things possessions have taught me one thing. Most possessions are BS. They can be easily debunked and, frankly, aren't that even scary. Like, I could watch them and listen to them all, and I wasn't getting chills or, or, or anything. It wasn't freaking me out at all, basically. And another thing I found out over this 10-day research is mental illness plays a huge part, but so does religious belief. People are so passionate about their religious beliefs that the only way they can cope with the bad thoughts or sexual feelings or whatever is what we now know as a psychotic break, but go back even, I don't know, 30 years, and it was thought to be demonic possessions. There's no other reason for it. They must be possessed. So are possessions real? Well, just like ghosts, like I said earlier, it definitely depends on who you ask. In my opinion, it's like asking if ghosts are real. It's, it's pretty damn hard to prove they don't exist. Some people they do. Some people think they do. And others just don't. Going back to my favorite argument that I know you guys have heard a million times, gorillas didn't officially exist until the beginning part of the 20th century. Prior to that, they thought they were mythical, cryptids. They thought they didn't exist. We all know now that they do, 
just like someday we'll know Sasquatch is real exactly the same way. But getting back to it, it's really hard to prove something exists or doesn't exist. Again, in my personal opinion, demons exist. Evil things exist just as much as good things. And these are things that we can't quite comprehend yet. So, yeah, in my opinion, possessions are real. After doing all of this research, 10 days worth of research where I really delved deep into possessions, besides all the stuff that I knew prior to it, I'm going to come out and say right now, yeah, possessions are real. Not all of them, like you're going to hear, but yes, possessions are real. Scary as that sounds, evil can inhabit the good or the innocent. And the strange part is, the Catholic Church says exorcisms are real and are happening more and more. In fact, just recently, in January, an article came out saying, Catholic Church needs more exorcists due to urgent increase in demonic activity, priest warns. An Irish priest has put out an urgent call for backup to help with the growing demand for exorcisms in the country, according to reports. It's only in recent years that the demand for exorcisms has risen exponentially, Father Pat Collins said, adding that anyone who doesn't see the need for more exorcists is, quote, out of touch with reality. Collins wrote an open letter to Irish bishops asking them to begin training more and more priests to deal with exorcisms, and he cited the International Association of Exorcists' belief that demonic activity has increased substantially in recent years. Each Catholic diocese in Ireland is required to have a trained exorcist who can identify whether a person is suffering from mental illness, which I think is brilliant and very important, or if that person has actually been possessed. So let's just stop right there. That's the the nutshell of that article. But why are exorcisms and possessions on the rise? And it's not just in Ireland. The numbers of exorcisms are on the rise around the world. But why? Honestly, I have no idea. But I wonder if it has anything to do with the anger that's rising around the world. It seems to me that everyone is getting more and more stressed out and more and more easily angered. Now, does that have anything to do with anything? I don't know. No idea. But since they're so hard to prove or disprove, let's use as much evidence as we have for the following possession cases. In fact, a couple of them will even have audio clips. Now, I've got one more thing, but it's connected. This is the world's expert on possessions, and his name is Dr. Richard Gallagher. He's an Ivy League-educated, board-certified psychiatrist, who teaches at Columbia University and New York Medical College. And even with all of that scientific and medical knowledge, he believes in and performs exorcisms. Like this example. A small group of nuns and priests met the woman in a chapel of a house one June evening. Though it was warm outside, a chill settled over the room. As the priest began to pray, the woman slipped into a trance and then snapped to life. She spoke in multiple voices. One was very deep, guttural, and masculine. Another one was high-pitched, and a third spouted only Latin. That's right, Latin. When someone secretly sprinkled ordinary water on her, she didn't react at all. But when holy water was used, she would scream in pain. 
Leave her alone, you fucking priests, the guttural voice shouted. Stop, you whores, you'll be sorry. This is what the guttural masculine voice shouted out of this woman. And again, this isn't a movie. This was a real exorcism that Dr. Gallagher performed. Sure, just like everyone else, he knew about possessions. He thought, like me and probably most of you, that they're an attempt to deal with mental disorders like epilepsy. And if case you're going, why epilepsy? You'll find out in a little while. But years later, and after performing countless exorcisms, he says demonic possession is real. He has seen the evidence. Victims suddenly speaking perfect Latin. Sacred objects flying off shelves. People displaying, quote, hidden knowledge or secrets about people that they could not have possibly known. He says there was one woman who was like 90 pounds soaking wet. She threw a Lutheran deacon who was about 200 pounds clear across the room. That's not psychiatry, he says. This is beyond psychiatry. Now, Gallagher only calls himself a consultant on demonic possessions. And again, for the past 25 years, he has helped clergy distinguish between mental illness and what he calls, quote, the real thing. He estimates that he's seen more cases of possession than any other physician in the world. And a lot of priests say, whenever we need help, we call him. In fact, the movie The Right was based on Thomas's work. I'll be honest, I haven't seen The Right. If you have, you know what I'm talking about right now. And again, just to get this point across, he says, not me, he says possessions are rare, but very, very real. Now, he did say, I do spend more time convincing people they are not possessed than they are. But again, he does say possessions are real, very, very real. Here's another case that he worked on. There was a middle-aged woman who would be charming and engaging, but she was also part of a satanic cult. Seems kind of odd, but we'll continue with the story. He says she called herself the queen of the cult, but he would only refer to her as, quote, Julia. The fact that Julia is in quotes makes me think this is a pseudonym. But anyhow, the woman had approached her local priest, convinced that she was being attacked by a demon. The priest referred her to an exorcist who reached out to Gallagher for a mental health evaluation. Here's my question. If she's part of a satanic cult, why would she want to be free from a demonic possession? She's part of a satanic cult, means she likes Satan, means she likes hell or the devil or anything, however far and deep she wants to get into that. Seems like she would want a demon by her side or in her or be a vessel for a demon or whatever, but... Anyhow, back to the story. Gallagher says she was conflicted. There's a part of her that wanted to be relieved of the possession. And as it turns out, this woman, this case, was the one who convinced Gallagher that possessions are real for the very first time. Now, he says objects would fly off shelves around her. She somehow knew very personal details about Gallagher's life, how his mother had died of ovarian cancer, the fact that two cats in his house went berserk fighting each other the night before one of their sessions. Julia found a way to reach him even when he wasn't with him, he says. He says he was talking on the phone with Julia's priest one night when both men heard one of the demonic voices that came from Julia during her trances, even though she was nowhere near a phone and thousands of miles away. Astonishingly, he says he's never been afraid. He says it's creepy, but he believes he's on the winning side. And that gives me hope. Because again, I am afraid of possessions, 
But I also but I also believe that I'm on the winning side of this one as well. So there's a man of science skeptics who has seen things that it cannot be explained by science. So with that, let's actually get to some people that might have been possessed. All righty. First up is this brief clip from the exorcism of Annalise Mitchell. She was a young German woman who supposedly was the real-life inspiration for the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Sounds scary, right? How she's saying what she's saying so intensely. It's freaky. It's spooky. It scared me when I was listening to it. It scared me when I'm listening to it this time as well. But let's take a look at her life. When Annalise was 16, she experienced a seizure and was diagnosed with psychosis caused by temporal lobe epilepsy. Remember when I mentioned epilepsy earlier? Here's one of the cases why. Now, shortly thereafter, she was diagnosed with depression and was treated at a psychiatric hospital. Now, both of these sound like medical explanations for her supposed possession, right? Well, then there's this. By the time she was 20... She had become intolerant of various religious objects and began to hear voices. Sure, it could be mental, but why the religious object hatred? That one seems kind of odd to be focused on, but we'll continue on. Her, let's just call it her condition right now. Her condition worsened despite medication. So she was on medication. Antipsychotic medication. It should have been stabilizing her. But she became suicidal. She was also displaying other symptoms for which she took medication as well. So they really had her medicated. And after taking psychiatric medications for five years, they failed to improve her symptoms at all. So both Mitchell and her family became convinced she was possessed by a demon. And kind of not surprisingly, again, just listening to that tape, she sounds possessed to me. So I can see why the family would think that. The priest Ernst Alt declared that, quote, she didn't look like an epileptic and that he did not need to see her having seizures. So obviously she was suffering from demonic possessions. Okay, let's calm it right there. Some guy just walks up who is not a medical professional and said, yeah, she doesn't look like an epileptic. I don't need to see no seizures. She is definitely possessed. And this next part is hard to verify, but it seems real. It's on a ton of the websites about her life. A lot of the facts on these websites can be corroborated. This one, it seems real is all I'm going to say. I can't 100% guarantee that this is legit, but it does seem legit. It says that she would perform 600 genuflections a day, eventually rupturing her knee ligaments. She crawled under a table, barked like a dog for two full days. She ate spiders. She ate coal. 
and she bit the head off a dead bird. Next part's even grosser. She even licked her own urine off the floor and could be heard through walls screaming for hours. Now, in September of that same year, Bishop Joseph Stangle granted the priest Arnold Rents permission to exercise according to the ritual Romanum of 1614, but they also ordered total secrecy. Rents performed the first session on September 24th, and she began talking increasingly about, quote, dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day. She also refused to eat towards the end. This all seems like a possession so far. How would she know what a demonic possession was even like? Well, there is a lot of speculation and a lot of proof, actually, that Annalise might have been influenced by the release of the movie The Exorcist in 1973. So she'd have a very good idea of, quote, how to be possessed. Now, again, I'm not saying she wasn't or was possessed. This one is definitely up for you guys to decide. But let's get back to her exorcism. So at this point, her parents stopped consulting doctors on her request and relied solely on the exorcism rites. How many? Well, 67 exorcism sessions happened with her. We're talking one or two each week, lasting up to four hours, and they were performed over 10 months in 1975 and 1976. So if she did have the sense of mind to fake this exorcism, or to fake this possession, I should say, you think after 10 of those four-hour sessions, she'd be like, whoa, this sucks. All right, enough. I'm going to go eat some food. Never mind. I'm sorry. But she didn't. Like I said, she had stopped eating. She was emaciated, and not surprisingly, but still sadly, on July 1st, 1976, Annalise died in her home. The autopsy report stated the cause was malnutrition and dehydration due to being in a semi-starvation state for almost a year while the rites of exorcism were performed. She weighed only 68 pounds when she died. She suffered broken knees due to continuous genuflections. She was unable to move without assistance and was reported to have contracted pneumonia. Now, just before the end, she said, Mother, I'm afraid. Annalise's parents, Anna and Joseph, were put on trial for their daughter's murder alongside with the two priests who performed all those exorcisms. All were found guilty of negligent homicide by allowing her to starve and were given suspended six-month prison sentences and three years probation. And that was it. In 2005, her mother did say, though, I know that we did the right thing because I saw the sign of Christ in her hands. She says she was bearing stigmata, and that was a sign from God that we should exercise the demons. She died to save other lost souls to atone for their sins. So this first story is an incredibly horrific, horrible story with a horrific ending and it's debated to this day if she was actually possessed or not. Based on the audio, and there was a ton of it, they recorded almost all of the sessions. But based on the audio that I listened to, it does sound like she was possessed. I mean, it kind of checks off those little checklists. But again, I'm not going to decide on this one. This one 
The exorcism of Annalise Mitchell is up for you to decide. Now this next one is even more bizarre if you can believe that. A 16-year-old girl, 16-year-old Christian girl, named Clara Germana Seal, or Sele, C-E-L-E, was an orphan from Natal, South Africa, or Natal, South Africa. I don't know. I've never been there. And this was in 1906. So again, she was a 16-year-old girl. She was a Christian. She was an orphan living in South Africa. She started acting strangely and speaking languages she had never been exposed to. This fact was also witnessed by others who recorded that, quote, she understood Polish, German, French, and all other languages. She also became a fortune teller who knew a lot about people she never crossed paths with. A nun that was an eyewitness to this said, Clara demonstrated clairvoyance by revealing the most intimate secrets and transgressions of people with whom she had no contact. Clara showed that she had skills such as levitation, superhuman strength, and according to some witnesses, was said to have levitated five feet in the air, sometimes vertically, sometimes horizontally. Witnesses claim that she spoke with a tone sounding like, quote, Satan orchestrating wild beasts. A nun who attended her exorcism even wrote, no animal had ever made such sounds, neither the lions of East Africa nor the angry bulls. At times, it sounded like a veritable herd of wild beasts orchestrated by Satan had formed a hellish choir. That's quite the mental picture she painted there, right? Now, Clara herself admitted to having made a pact with the devil after submitting her body to him. The nuns and priests that were with her said that religious artifacts disgusted her and she would do anything she could to destroy them. During a two-day exorcism performed by two priests, Clara tried to strangle one of them, and it's reported that more than 170 people saw her levitate as scripture was read to her. Eventually, the exorcism was successful, and the demons were driven out of her, and it's said that she lived a completely healed and normal life from that point on. Now, there's been a couple that I've talked about where people have spoken languages that they've never had any connection with before. And I really wanted to find some proof to it. So I went down this possession and exorcism rabbit hole far too long, far too many times over 10 days. And I couldn't find any possession videos that show someone possessed speaking an ancient language like Latin or ancient Aramaic, or anything like that, or even another language that they were never exposed to. I was desperately trying to find video proof of someone speaking Latin clearly. Now, let me tell you, there are a lot of videos of people babbling incoherently, and then this idiot on the video going, here she's speaking ancient Aramaic. No, she's not. Here she's speaking Turkish. No, she's not. She's babbling, or he's babbling. She's speaking in tongues, maybe. I'll give you that one, perchance, maybe. But I couldn't find anything, not one video, of someone speaking another language that would prove to me, like, holy crap, that part of possession seems to be real. And it happens over and over again in a ton of the possession and exorcism stories that I found online. Now, I'm sure someone out there right now 
is saying, well, what about, we'll call him, I'm just going to call him Blob Flarson. And if you can't uh, decipher that one, that code isn't that tough to break. He's a crazy, litigious, faker, religious, quack, charlatan, jackass, which is why I'm not using his real name, because he's very litigious. And he gets people to, quote, speak languages and speak in tongues in a bunch of his YouTube videos. Well, no, he doesn't. I watched a crap ton, way too much of his videos, just on the off chance that one of these possessions might be real. And let me tell you, they're not. Very easy to debunk. Very easy. In fact, it's so easy to see that he profits and preys on easily susceptible and hardcore religious people. So I'm not even going to waste any more of my podcast time talking about him. So instead, let's get to another one with audio. Oh, no. Leave. No. No. Leave now, I command you. And in real life, this rare footage shows what actually happens in an exorcism. Stop! Stop it! I would do things that I wouldn't necessarily do, but so intense that it was like I was almost a puppet. Another sign could very well be if a person possesses um, a competency in a language that they otherwise couldn't speak. They can take on a serpentine look and coil up in a very serpentine body language manner. And I've seen that happen. I was shaking. I was screaming. I was different languages. Uh, Becky Parker says she was possessed by as many as eight demons over many, many years. I know what they look like. I know how big they are. I know where they are in my body. You feel they're still there? No. They're gone. Now, what you just heard was Becky Parker. Now, she was supposedly possessed by demons. So, let's go on that possession checklist we have here. Scary voice? Check. Nonsensical language that's not an ancient language at all? Check. Hatred of religious objects? Check. Quick pause right here. Why the hatred of the crucifixion? It seems like the devil or the demon that was inside a person would like the image of Christ dead on the cross. Seems like that should be like, ha ha ha, that guy is on a cross, he died. But they all hate him. Don't understand that. But anyhow, let's keep going with her. So once again, her name's Becky Parker. She has everything on that checklist. And it does seem like now if you want to be possessed, you can just check those things off. Like if you wanted to be a vampire, you know what to do, act and say It seems that way with possessions as well. It's like a cookie-cutter possession stuff. And again, 99% of the clips online had nothing demonic happen to the person in the video ever. And just like those, same thing happened with Becky Parker. Nothing demonic ever happened to her or around her on camera. Nothing flew, nothing levitated, No ancient language. On this one, I will say, I personally don't think Becky was possessed. But there's kind of not enough evidence either way for me to decide. So instead, let's just move on. You can think about that one yourself. You can look more into Becky Parker if you really want to. It's not that intriguing of a case, but I wanted to throw it out there because of the audio clips. So, unfortunately, this next one, we don't have any audio clips, and that's because it comes from the 1700s. 
His name was George Lukens, and he was an English tailor in the 1700s, and he believed that he was possessed. Neighbors reported that he would sing and talk in languages and voices that didn't belong to him. After continual bizarre behavior, they asked the church to intervene, and he was first sent to a hospital and stayed there for 20 months. So again, if he's faking it, that's a hard 20 months. If he just had a mental break, it's probably a good place for him. But what happened next? Well, he was then considered beyond medical help and diagnosed with demonic possession. After, quote, violent eruptions, singing hymns backwards and barking like a dog, George was said to have been possessed by seven demons, for which he believed seven clergymen were needed to drive them out. Now, his exorcism was performed at the Temple Church, where seven priests were apparently successful in saving George's life, soul, whatever you want to say. He later exclaimed, Blessed Jesus, he thanked God and the priests after reciting the Lord's Prayer. He seemed to live a long, happy life. Now, sure, it was the 1700s. The story could have been, the story could have mutated, or as it's been told over and over again, it keeps inflating to more stuff. Then he could do this. Then he could do that. He sang backwards, whatever. But it does seem like he was possessed based only on eyewitness stories and the stories about him from that time. I'm not including random, you know, Ed's para-page that's all paranormal news by Ed, where he just goes and regurgitates the same crap other people has and then adds a little something to make it seem scarier so you'll click on it. I didn't go by any of that for this story. I kind of went on as much of the original story that I could find and as many of the facts as I could find about this story. So it does seem like there was something to him from the 1700s. So I want to be fair to the skeptics. So here are a couple of fake possessions or fake stigmata cases. Now they're from a book entitled Hidden Memories, Voices and Visions from Within by psychologist Robert A. Baker. Again, just for you skeptics, These aren't real. Now, in that book, Robert Baker says possession was sometimes faked by nuns to act out sexual frustrations, protest restrictions, escape unpleasant duties, attract attention and sympathy, and fulfill other useful functions. I like how he says other useful functions, like the rest of those on that list were useful. But anyhow, he talks about Sister Jean de Angus. Jean de Angus? I don't know. Jean, D-E-S-A-N-G-E-S. Now, she lived from 1602 to 1665 and was part of a contagious outbreak of writhing, convulsing nuns. This episode has a little bit of everything, doesn't it? Now, Jean herself exhibited stigmatic designs and lettering on her skin. A bloody cross, quote-unquote, appeared on her forehead and the names of Jesus, Mary, and others were found on her hand. They were always clustered on her left hand, just as expected if a right-handed person were making them. She went on tour as, quote, a walking relic and was exhibited in Paris to thousands. Thousands of people came to see this fake possessed woman. There were a few skeptics, but Cardinal Richelieu rejected having Jean tested by having her hand enclosed in a sealed glove. He felt that that would amount to testing God. Robert Baker also goes on to debunk an exorcism from the ABC TV show 2020 that aired here in the United States in 1991. 
Now, this episode featured a 16-year-old girl that was supposedly possessed by 10 demons. I'll play a couple of pieces from this, but let me just tell you, it is so obvious that she is faking it from the fake foreign language that she says she's speaking to the fact that she keeps looking at the camera. She steals glances at the camera like it's the office, like Jim looks at the camera in the office. That's what she does before she starts being possessed every time. At this point, things yeah. are moving along rather slowly. The devil plays a great game of deception and will not reveal itself or themselves for quite a period of time. Let it be a sign of protection for our sister, Gina. But then something does happen. Gina begins retching. And as the pre-exorcism examination intensifies, unexpectedly, low and unfamiliar voices begin to emerge. Gina said to me, I have to go. It's uh, pretty unimpressive, it's pretty fake, and I can't believe that 2020 aired it in 1991. They must have been desperate for something evil. Now, after listening to that, I'm sure you're not surprised the exorcism worked, she got better, but a lot of websites, and I mean a lot of them, ignore the fact that she got better because she was on medications. 1991, modern-day medicine They gave her a bunch of medications. She calmed the F down and became a quote-unquote normal person. Now, even the most famous exorcism ever, the movie The Exorcist, it was based on a true story, but with just a little bit of research, it's easy to debunk this one too. Sorry, fans of The Exorcist. I love that movie too. I don't think the real story is a true one. The real case involved a boy, not a young girl like in the movie, and the best reports from this exorcism are from the journal or the diary, whatever you want to call it, of the priest who performed it. Not from a bunch of websites that regurgitate BS stories. This is from the journal of the priest who performed the exorcism. Now, in this journal, the clergy caught the boy scratching Christ and hell onto his chest when he thought no one was looking. When he thought he was alone and by himself, he would scratch these into his chest when he thought no one was looking. He supposedly spoke ancient Aramaic, but in the journal it said he spoke an odd unknown language that didn't seem real. The only time things flew across the room or furniture fell over was when the boy was left alone. And the scratching noises his family heard were from the boy scratching his toenails along the wall while lying in bed, and his grandmother even caught him doing it. Another instance of scratches appearing as if from nowhere are very easily explainable. This one you can do at home. If you scratch yourself with something kind of sharp right now, and then you quickly start filming it with your phone, 
you will see the scratch appear as if from nowhere. It's amazing. So when someone's not looking, you quickly scratch yourself, and then you go, wait a couple of seconds, then you go, ah, I've just been scratched, and you look down, and you can see a little welt start to appear. It's not exactly a baking soda volcano, but it's a fun scientific experiment nonetheless. There's a lot more I can talk about with his exorcism and his possessions, but ultimately, it was a fake. He was proven a fake by the priest who was there. That diary, that journal has a lot of entries, so I'm not going to go through them all. So let's talk about one that can't be explained at all. This one isn't from the 1700s. This one is from 2014, and it happened in a home in Gary, Indiana, right here in the United States. Now, that house became known as the Demon House, and it supposedly is one of the most possessed homes in the world, or at least it was at this time, for very good reason. All right, kids, buckle in. This is going to be a long one, and it's a really good one. Once again, it's 2014, Gary, Indiana. A woman and her three children claimed to be possessed by demons. Not just a few, but over 200 separate demons. One of the boys was a nine-year-old boy, and I don't want to bury the lead on this one, so I'm just going to give you a little taste of what this nine-year-old boy did. He walked backwards up a wall and onto the ceiling of a hospital room when his grandmother took his hand and started to pray for him. A insanely, rightfully so, horrified registered nurse was also in the room at the time and witnessed it happening. She told the Indianapolis Star there was no way he could have done that. A caseworker was also in the room, I'll explain why in a little bit, and witnessed him walking up the wall. And it wasn't just the family or these couple of people that had witnesses to things that happened to this family. Neighbors saw it. Police officers saw it. County workers saw it. Child Protective Service agents saw it. There's going to be a lot of people here. So let's get right into this. Gary Police Captain Charles Austin said it was the strangest story he had ever heard. Now, he's a 36-year veteran of the Gary Police Department, and he said he initially thought that Latoya Amons, that's the mother, and her family concocted a very elaborate tale as a way to make money. But after several visits to the home and interviews with witnesses, police captain Charles Austin simply says, I'm a believer. Now, a lot of this story is coming from the Indianapolis Star because they did such a good job and in-depth look at this case. So, a lot of this, I'm just going to read almost verbatim from the Indianapolis Star's article, but there's a lot of corroborating evidence as well. Now, there's been more than a dozen interviews with police, DCS personnel, that's the people like uh, Child Protective Service people, psychologists, family members, neighbors, a Catholic priest. All these people saw evidence of this possession. So again, this one started in November 2011 when the Amons family moved into a small rental house on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Almost instantly, big black flies suddenly swarmed and covered their screened-in porch in December. Despite it being the dead of winter in Indiana when it was frigid cold, flies virtually covered their screened-in porch. The grandma, Rosa Campbell, remembers thinking, this is not normal. We'd killed them and killed them and killed them, but they just kept coming back. 
from nowhere. They would also occasionally hear footsteps climbing the basement stairs and the creak of the door opening between the basement and the kitchen. Now, it even happened when they would lock the basement door. They started getting really sick of hearing this. They were afraid that someone was in the basement trying to get into the house, so they would lock the basement door, and it would still happen. Now, the mother, Latoya, said she awoke one night and saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing her living room. She leapt out of bed to investigate and large wet boot prints on the floor. On March 10th, 2012, at about 2 a.m., Latoya, her mother Rosa, all of the children, normally they'd be asleep at this 2 a.m., but they were mourning the death of a loved one with a large group of friends. Now the boy, the nine-year-old boy, started screaming, Mama, Mama! The grandmother ran into the room, where her then 12-year-old granddaughter and a friend were staying and said the 12-year-old was levitating above the bed, unconscious. Eventually, her granddaughter descended onto the bed. The girl woke up with no memory of what happened. Not surprisingly, the people that were staying there to help mourn took off and refused to return. Those people are smart. Those people are the heroes of this story. Only because they left. They don't do anything else. They never came back they left. Good on them. Now, the Amons called the local churches, but most refused to listen. Eventually, after listening to the grandmother and Latoya talk about the house and visiting it, officials at one church told them that the Carolina Street house had spirits in it. They recommended the family clean the home with bleach and ammonia, then use oil to draw crosses on every door and window. Now, they did what the church suggested— she poured olive oil on her three children's hands and feet, then smeared oil in the shape of the crosses on their forehead. They also reached out to two clairvoyants, although I will say I couldn't find out who they were when I was researching this, and I was kind of bummed because I really wanted to find them. Remember, this story took place in 2014. All of these people are probably on Facebook, but they don't use their real names, so I will never find them. So I was hoping the clairvoyants would be named, but alas, they weren't. Now, these clairvoyants said that the family home was besieged by more than 200 demons. They said the best thing you can do is move. And the mother and the grandmother said, "Uh, we can't afford to leave. Sorry, we have to stay. Now, they did make an altar in the basement, but basically this altar was just a table with a white sheet where they placed a Virgin Mary and a candle on it. So, use that term altar lightly. Uh, they also burnt sage. They also burnt sage and sulfur throughout the house. So they did everything they could to try and cleanse this house, but nothing seemed to work. Now, for the next three days, it did appear to work, though. It, the house was quiet, but then shit got crazy. The family said demons possessed the mother and her children, then ages 7, 9, and 12. The kids' eyes bulged, evil smiles came across their face. And their voices deepened every time it happened. Now, the grandmother said the demons didn't affect her because she was born with protection from evil. She said she and others like her have a guardian who protects them. So, all well and good for grandma, but the rest of the family are getting besieged by demons. The youngest boy, who was then seven, he sat in a closet talking to a boy that no one else could see. The other boy was describing what it felt like to be killed. So, that's a happy little story. The grandma said the seven-year-old once flew out of the bathroom as if he'd been thrown. 
and a headboard once smacked the daughter, causing a wound that needed stitches. So these kids were getting tossed around in this house. The 12-year-old, she would later tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt as if she was being choked and held down so she couldn't speak or move. She said she heard a voice say she'd never see her family again and wouldn't live another 20 minutes when it was happening. Some nights were so bad that the family scraped what money they could find and would stay in a hotel. Now, finally, they went to their family physician, this guy, Dr. Jeffrey, I'm not going to even begin to say your last name, Anioko, sure, why not? Doesn't matter. They went to their family physician, Dr. Jeffrey, I'm going to call him. This was on April 19th, 2012. And the mother said she told him what they were going through. She gave him all of the details. And in his medical notes about the visit, Dr. Jeffrey wrote, Delusions of ghost in home and hallucinations. He also wrote, History of ghost at home and delusional. So, obviously, he didn't believe them. Now, the mother and the grandmother said what happened next was detailed in a Child Protective Service, or DCS, report and a family case manager's interviews with medical staff. So, these are coming from an outsider. And in those notes, it says that the boy cursed Dr. Jeffrey in demonic voices, raging at him. Medical staff said the youngest boy was, quote, lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him. And this, again, is all according to that Child Protective Service report. All of a sudden, both boys abruptly passed out and wouldn't come to. Just in case you didn't hear me say that, both boys passed out simultaneously and all of a sudden. Now, someone from the doctor's office called 911. Dr. Jeffrey said seven or eight police officers and multiple ambulances showed up. He says everybody was, they couldn't figure out exactly what was happening. Police and emergency personnel took the boys to Methodist Hospital's campus in Gary, Indiana. Now, the boys woke up at the exact same time in the hospital. The older boy, he acted rationally, but the youngest screamed and thrashed. She said it took five full-grown men to hold him down. Meanwhile, someone called Child Protective Services and asked the agency to investigate the entire family and the mother for possible child abuse or neglect. Now, we don't know who the caller was. It wasn't put in the uh, it was not put in the Child Protective Service report, but it's also speculated that the mother might have a mental illness, apparently, according to this random person. The person believed that the children were performing for the mother and she was encouraging their behavior. So a case manager, Valerie Washington, was asked to handle the initial investigation and she gave the following account to the police in her report. She says, Hospital personnel examined the mother and her children and found them to be healthy and free of marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated the mother and determined she was, quote, of sound mind. Now, Washington then interviewed the family in the hospital, and while she was speaking with the mother, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing, and then his eyes rolled back in his head. The boy locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go until those adult men pried his hands open. Later in that evening, that Child Protective Service officer, Washington, she and a nurse brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview. 
The seven-year-old stared into his brother's eyes and began to growl again and said, It's time to die. In a very deep, unnatural voice, he said, I will kill you. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting the grandmother in the stomach. Now, the grandmother grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. Guess what we're getting to in this part of the story? Now, according to Washington, this is in the actual report itself, and it's been corroborated by the nurse. So that nine-year-old boy who had a, quote, weird grin and walked backwards up a wall to the ceiling, he then flipped over the grandmother landing on his feet. He never let go of his grandmother's hand. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there. There is no way he could have done that. That is exactly what she wrote in this report. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall, you know, kind of doing like some kind of acrobatic trick or whatever. And Washington said no. Flat out, she said no. She said the boy glided backward on the floor, the wall, and the ceiling. And this is in the police report as well. So it's in the Child Protective Service report and the police report, the two places you wouldn't expect to find this kind of detail. And witnesses saw it, too. According to Washington's report, according to the Washington's report, they told a doctor what happened. The doctor, who didn't believe them, asked the boy to walk up the wall again. Now, the doctor said he doubted the boy could repeat the feat. He said, quote, this kid was not himself when he did that, though. You didn't see it. The nurse said to the doctor, this kid was not himself when he did that. The boy said he didn't remember what happened and couldn't do it. The nurse also said they did previously believe in demons and spirits, but they thought the boys had, quote, some demonic spirit to it, but might have also been the result of a mental illness. So this nurse who just witnessed this, couldn't believe it, couldn't explain it, thought, yeah, kids, kids possessed. Maybe a little crazy, but kids possessed. Now, Washington herself said she believed there could be, quote, an evil influence affecting the family. Now, the mother spent the night at the hospital with her seven-year-old son, while the grandmother took the daughter and older son to a relative's home in Gary, Indiana. The next day was the youngest son's eighth birthday. The family celebrated the boy's birthday at the hospital. Then Washington told her, I'm sorry, but the children would not be going home. The DCS, Child Protective Services, whatever you want to call them, took the emergency step of taking custody of the children without a court order. Washington wrote in the form, on the form itself, she wrote, all of the children were experiencing spiritual and emotional distress. Now, this is when Reverend Michael Maganot received a call from a hospital chaplain. He visited the mother and the grandmother at their house, and for two hours, the mother and grandmother detailed the phenomena for him. Just then, the grandmother interrupted the interview to point out a flickering bathroom light. Now, the flickering stopped each time the reverend walked over to investigate it, which he attributed to a demonic presence. He says, it might be scared of me. The interview was interrupted again when the grandmother pointed out the Venetian blinds in the kitchen swinging even though there was no air current. The reverend said he also saw wet footprints throughout the living room. Now, this was when the mother started complaining about having a headache and the reverend said she started to convulse when he placed a crucifix against her head. So anyhow, let's move on. So anyhow, after a four-hour interview, the reverend said he was convinced the family was being tormented by demons, 
and he said he also believed there were ghosts in the house. So the reverend blessed the house before he left, praying and reading from the Bible, sprinkling holy water in each room, and he then told the mother and the grandmother to leave because it wasn't safe. So they temporarily moved out with the relative. But less than a week later, they were back because the DCS family case manager wanted to check the conditions of the home. So Washington herself came to the house, but did ask a Lake County police officer to come with her. She's smart. She witnessed what happened. She's like, screw that. I'm taking a cop with me. Two other officers, one from Gary and one from Hammond Police Department, were asked to join out of, quote, professional curiosity. So they had heard some stories. They saw the police reports. They wanted to see it for themselves. The mother refused to go inside, but the grandmother agreed to accompany the group. And you got to remember, the kids were still in the protective custody. So it's just this group. To give you an idea what the house looks like, it was a main floor, had three bed. The main floor had three bedrooms a living room, and one bathroom, hardwood floors, and a small open-style kitchen. A door in the kitchen led to that basement with the concrete floors. Now, here's where it gets weird. Directly under the stairs, though, was a dirt floor. The concrete around it was jagged as though it has been broken to expose the dirt. The police officers did all say that the makeshift altar the mom had created was still in place, along with rings of salt she had poured against the basement walls to, quote, dissuade the demons. Now, this is also in the police report. Now, that Gary police captain, Austin, that I talked about at the beginning of this story, was one of those officers. And remember, he says he's now a true believer, so let's find out what happens. During the interview with the grandmother, one of the officers' audio recorders malfunctioned, and according to Austin and Hammond police records, The power light flashed to indicate the batteries were dying, even though the officer had placed fresh batteries in the recorder earlier in that day. Sounds like a typical haunting to me. Another officer recorded audio, and when he played it back later, heard an unknown voice whisper, Hey. And this is in the police records as well. Now, I couldn't find the recording, unfortunately. I really wanted to listen to this, Hey. Because that doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence, but I couldn't find it. Now, that same officer also took photos of the house, and in one photo of the basement stairs, there was a cloudy white image in the upper right-hand corner. When an officer enlarged the photo, that cloud appeared to resemble a face. Lake County Police Records, again, I can't find this picture, but again stated that in the enlargement, they also revealed a second green image that all the police say looked like a female's face. Captain Austin said photos he snapped with his iPhone also seemed to have strange silhouettes in them. The radio in his police-issued Ford malfunctioned on the way home. Now, later, Captain Austin said the garage at his home refused to open even though the power was on everywhere else. The captain said the driver's seat in his personal 2005 Infiniti also started moving backwards and forwards on its own. He said he had the car checked at the dealership and the mechanic told him the motor on the driver's seat was broken, which the mechanic said could have caused a distraction leading to an accident. So Captain Austin said he found himself starting to believe, starting to believe everything really, and thought that this demon or ghost or whatever it was, was starting to follow him home. Now let's move it a little bit more forward to April of 2012. And that's when the Child Protective Services Went to, went to juvenile court for temporary wardship of the three children, and it was granted. 
the reason for this that they could get it granted so quickly was that the mother neglected her children's education by not, by not having them in school regularly. Now, the mother pleaded with Washington, saying there were times when she could not send the kids to school because, quote, the spirits would make them sick or they would be up all night without sleep. So all the kids were taken away, and a clinical psychologist who evaluated the youngest son said the boy tended to act possessed when he was challenged, redirected, or asked questions he didn't want to answer. In her evaluation, this psychologist wrote that he seemed coherent and logical, except when he talked about demons. She says that's when his stories became kind of bizarre, fragmented, illogical, and he also changed his stories each time he told them. So this person said, none of this is true. This boy is being manipulated by his mother, basically. Now, some of the stuff that the kids told the psychologist were, the daughter would often see shadowy figures in the house. She also said twice that she went in trances. She went into trances and that the older brother, he told the psychologist that doors would slam and stuff started to move around him. Okay, so the police officers all went back to this house for another investigation. Now, they, they went with the reverend, and the reverend told the police he wanted to check the dirt under the stairs for a pentagram or personal objects that might have been cursed. He said maybe someone had died in the house and was buried under the stairs. That might explain the paranormal activity. Basically, the reverend was trying to think of anything, any reason why it seemed to emanate from this spot under the stairs. So one of the police officers dug a four-foot by three-foot hole underneath the stairs, unearthing a pink press-on fingernail, a white pair of panties, a political shirt pin, a lid for a small cooking pan, socks with the bottoms cut off below the ankles, candy wrappers, and a heavy metal object that looked like a weight for a drapery cord. Now this is all in the police records as well. Here's where it gets funny. It says, finding nothing else, the officer replaced the dirt and raked over it. Pause. Wait, what the hell? None of that stuff was weird enough to warrant a more thorough investigation? Why the hell were white panties buried underneath the ground? Whatever. Back to the story. So the priest, so the reverend blessed some salt, which he said is a barrier to evil, spread it under the stairs and throughout the basement. Now, one of the people from the Child Protective Services said she was later standing in the living room with the rest of the group when her left pinky finger started to tingle and whiten, and she said it felt like it was broken all of a sudden. Less than 10 minutes later, she said she felt as if she was having a panic attack. She couldn't breathe, so she walked outside to wait for the rest of the group. The mother, who went with the group this time, also complained of a headache and shoulder pain, according to the police reports, so she went outside as well. And Captain Austin? Well, Captain Austin said he left the house exactly at nightfall, and he said flat out he was not staying in that house after the sun went down. Now, the other officers continued to walk through the home, and they noticed an oil-like substance dripping from Venetian blinds in the bedroom, but couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Now, to make sure that the mother or the grandmother or somebody hadn't did that to kind of freak out the officers... They used paper towels, they cleaned it all off, they sealed the room for 25 minutes and stood nearby so no one could walk in it. When they went back in, the oil had reappeared. And again, this is all in the police reports. This seemed to be enough for the reverend to actually get authorization to perform an exorcism. So he contacted a bishop of the Diocese of Gary named Debbie Bosack. 
She said she can't comment on whether on whether the Reverend was ever approved an exorcism for confidentiality reasons. But anyhow, the Reverend did just that. So the Reverend went back to the house on another visit and said he did an intense blessing of the home to expel the bad spirits. That same day, the Reverend performed a minor exorcism on the mother, and the ritual consisted of prayers, statements, and appeals to cast out the demon. Two police officers and a family case manager attended that ritual. They said they believed that something was going on, although they couldn't say they couldn't go far as to say it was demonic, but they did get chills during the nearly two-hour service. They said, we felt like someone was in the room, someone breathing down your neck. One of the Child Protective Service agents said she had a string of medical problems after visiting the home. A week after she visited the house for the last time, she got third-degree burns from a motorcycle. Within 30 days, she also broke three ribs jet skiing, broke a hand when she hit a table, and then broke an ankle running in flip-flops. I had friends who wouldn't even talk to me because they believed that something had attached itself to me. Anyhow, back to the reverend and the family. That's basically all it says about that worker. I hope she's not possessed now. I hope she's fine. The reverend told the mother to look up the names of the demons that were tormenting her. Each demon has a name and a personality, and this makes sense to me, and it should make sense to you if you listen to the Moffat episode. You'll know that a name has power, and it seems like the priest knew this too. If you haven't listened to the Moffat episode, right after this one, I recommend you go back and find it. It is one of my all-time favorite interviews I have ever done. So anyhow, he said he planned to use those names to fight the demon during the exorcisms. So the mother and a friend looked up demon names online by searching for demons that represented the problems the family had been having, but the computer kept shutting down. The mother also said she felt sick and lightheaded during the entire time, but they found some names that might fit. One of them was Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. She said they also found names of demons that torture and hurt kids, which she felt explained what was happening in that house. The mother also said other high-ranking demons were also assigned to her, including lieutenants and sergeants. So after that minor ritual that he did with the mother, the reverend was given full permission to exercise everyone. Now he says he performed three major exorcisms on the mother, two in English and the last one in Latin, and that one took place in 2012 at the church. Now the mother said during that last one, she felt as though she was... She felt as if something inside her was trying to hold on and inflict pain at the same time. She said it was different from a natural pain, but felt as intense as giving birth. She says, I was hurting all over from the inside out. I was trying to do my best and be strong. Eventually, the reverend says, the mother just fell asleep. And she said that was the demon's way of lessening the ritual's effect. In that final exorcism, the reverend said he prayed and berated the demons in Latin rather than English And this one seemed to work. After that, the family were all reunited and moved out of the house. So the kids seem to be fine now. The mom seems to be fine now. The exorcism seems to have wiped them all clean. What became of the house, you might ask? Well, a new tenant lives there, and he says says nothing strange has ever happened, and that the house seems fine. Now the family, what has happened to them? Well, the family are now demon-free, with no other demonic things happening to them. Well, that just about does it for that story and this entire episode. So, what do you guys think? This one freaks me out. 
I hope you guys liked it. I hope it freaks you out a little bit as well. I hope it's not just me. And I also hope that that Indiana story was new to you like it was to me. I couldn't believe that such a new story with so many credible witnesses is out there, and I hadn't heard it yet. It's an amazing story. It's cool to read the police reports. It's cool to read the Child Protective Service reports. All these official documents that shouldn't mention possessions at all go really detailed and deep into demonic possessions and demons. It is really incredible to read it. But anyhow, like I said, the time is up. I hope you guys like this episode. What do you think? Are possessions real? Are exorcisms real? Is any of it real? Well, once again, I'm Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Why, in here is a